And will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is a new state park in Manhattan, Riverbank State Park, aptly named, for it sprawls along the banks of the Hudson River on the edge of Harlem. Yet the park isn't exactly on the banks of the river, but rather up, up above, but not on a hill. This new park is not really on the ground. Strange but true. This park, complete with trees, ice skating rink, running track, concession stands, fields of grass, is not on the ground. It is on the sewage treatment plant. One of the largest public works projects in this country, this expansive gray building with a park on top treats wastewater on its way to the Hudson River. While kids skate, the water flows. Beneath the bikes and the trikes of summer, the water flows. Under the slam dunks, under the park bench, under the playground laughter, the water flows. And the Hudson River begins to come back to life. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish once these waters reach there. It will become fresh, and everything will live where the river goes. Famed environmentalist Dr. Joseph Sittler, who spent a lifetime trying to bring us back to Earth and spoke the word ecology before it ever appeared in the newspapers or college course catalogs, he connected the words faith and ecology. He wanted us not only to see the world, but to behold the world and be changed, saying, with our minds we look at things, but in the spirit of our minds, we behold things. To behold a thing means to regard it in its particularity, its infinite preciousness, irreplaceability, and beauty. Dr. Sittler would ask us to behold the river, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. And we do wade. That ancient philosopher Heraclitus said, you cannot step in the same river twice. When you step in a river, you change it. And though it keeps flowing, the river is different because of the encounter. When we wade in the water, when we walk through the woods, when we plant a garden, we are changing the world. And now a thought experiment based on the essay, Earth is Techno-Earth by Philip Hefner. Let's imagine ourselves to be looking down upon planet Earth in the days before there was a human species. There are no cities of people, no campfires or their traces, no signs whatsoever of homo sapiens about. If you are able, transport yourself there into that scene, draw very close to the Earth walk upon it, and try to place yourself within that ecosystem without humans. Note carefully that there are two things that make it almost impossible for us to imagine pre-human affairs, and I'm not talking about the difficulty of imagining a world unspoiled by human garbage and pollution, highways and light poles and the like. 
I'm referring to something so strange that we can scarcely imagine a world without it. In an ecosystem without human beings, nothing has a name. And virtually nothing has a use, at least in the sense that we often think of. What is that tall, brown, barky pole with green pieces in its limbs? What is that long, winding, silvery trail of water that meanders here and there? No one has yet appeared to call them trees and rivers. And what are they for? The birds have certainly not decided to use the trees for nests in the same way that we use them for firewood and paper goods. And consider that considerable amount of brown mineral stuff that runs in veins under the Earth's crust. No one has yet appeared to call it iron ore or to mine it and use it. Can you imagine what the ecosystem and its members might have thought and said as they watched Homo sapiens come on the scene? If we might envision that conversation, what sort of conversation would it be? For example, might that brown mineral stuff say, I always thought of myself as comfortable, hard stuff here in the cool, cool earth. Can you imagine my surprise when I found out I was iron ore? and that I could rise out of the loamy bed and become railroad tracks and skyscrapers and bridges. These people who call themselves human beings are really marvelous creatures. Look what they've done. They've given me a name and made me into more than I ever dreamed possible. They told me who I was. And suppose that silvery, watery ribbon would respond, you mean they told you who they think you are, and then they made you into it. I agree with you that it is a proud thing to move out of the earth and up into the air as a tall building, and being a rail in a train track is not bad either, but were you just as happy when they told you you were a bullet and an intercontinental ballistic missile silo? What was so great about that? They did the same to me. They named me a river, and I didn't mind that. And then they called me an artery of traffic and industry, carrying their boats, and I didn't mind that much either. I carried you to the steel mills, and by the way, I rather got to like you. After all, we scarcely knew one another before they brought us together. But one day, they came up with another name for me, Garbage Disposal System and they made me into one of the best. They did the same to me, the atmosphere is talking now and for some reason has an accent. And you know, it's so infernally difficult to talk back to those people. In fact, I can't. It's only by indirect signals that I can get my message through to them. I don't wanna hurt their lungs when they breathe me in, but I can't help it. If they're gonna pour ozone and hydrocarbons into me, I just can't dispose of all that garbage, but I can hope that they'll get the point and give me a new name and a new purpose. The problem is those people are the ones who can really discover our names and our uses. But when they make a mistake in the naming and the using, man, it's really a nightmare. 
This conversation among the pre-human inhabitants of our ecosystem is silly, perhaps, but it nevertheless highlights a fundamental truth about human beings and about our own time in history. Today we find that the human community has covered the earth not only in a quantitative manner, but in a qualitative sense. We have humanified the ecosystems of the globe. There is no significant portion of the terrestrial ecosystem untouched by humankind. The natural systems of temperature and climate, the waterways, the atmosphere, the fertility of the soil are all intensified and manipulated by technological enhancements. If nature refers to the world as it was before humankind, then there is very little that is natural any longer. But we're mistaken to define nature in this manner. Nature is real today, but it is not nature untouched by human hands. It is humanified nature. Nature now includes the social systems that interact with the ecosystem. Too often we picture nature as something untouched, pristine, something set apart that we are trying to get back to or escape from or escape to, but as we live our daily lives and impact the ecosystem of the planet, we are a part of that ecosystem. In the opening chapters of the Bible, we see God creating the heavens and the earth, the seas and the sky, the plants and the animals, and calling everything good. Then God creates humankind and gives humans the responsibility to name and take care of everything in creation. And we don't always get everything right. It seems humans got a bit power crazy, and instead of doing what was best for creation as a whole, some people started trying to make themselves better than everyone and everything else. There was fighting and mistreatment of the land and each other, so God decided to bring the flood, to wipe the slate clean. But did you notice that God doesn't just destroy everything and start again? God didn't say, let's take these humans out of the picture and get back to how things were before they showed up. God intentionally chose some humans who understood that it wasn't just all about them, but about the animals and the rest of creation too. And when the waters finally receded and they were able to get out of that ark, Noah said a prayer of thanksgiving and God created a covenant with Noah. A most interesting point here is that the rainbow covenant is made in the awareness that humans will work against it. God knew people were still going to put themselves first, and yet God has made a commitment to the earth and all its living things. What might, what might this mean? It is not, first of all, that God will punish us if we work against the earth and its inhabitants, rather that when we do, God is on the other side, working on behalf of the earth. It is so appropriate that Earth Day should come during Eastertide. In Colossians we read regarding Christ, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's a tricky theological concept, but if Christ is God, and has been since the dawn of time, 
then Christ is part of the work of creation from the start. If we hold this to be true, then the fact that Christ can experience resurrection means that our entire creation can do the same. There may be waterways and forests, coral reefs and glaciers that we think are dead zones that cannot be places of life, but if they contain the power of the resurrection within them, who knows? We've tied ourselves so closely to the earth, we need the earth to survive. But now the earth needs us as well. And this is how God has made creation to be, completely interdependent. God has made it so that for us to survive, we have to care about and care for the earth. We need the earth, and the earth needs us as well just like we need God, and God needs us as well. God has made a covenant with the earth and its living things. If the earth is part of God's body, if Christ, the Christ the Christians follow, includes both his sufferings and his cosmic redemption, if the living power of God's spirit can never be exercised from the earth, then surely it is part of our task as Christians to put in the effort behind the survival of the earth and its peoples. I hope you will find your way to be a part of this redemptive work. I hope you will find your patch of dirt in which to nourish life. I pray that each of you will become a part of the resurrection of all creation. Amen. <laughs>